This is Mental, the podcast that destigmatizes mental health. I'm Bobby Temps. I'm Annie Harris. Each Thursday, we delve into a factor or condition that influences the mind and how to better manage it. With special guests and stats you can trust, here we go. This week, we're talking all about the creative arts as a factor in mental health recovery. So before we get into that, I've got a few bits of information and definitions. So first off, one definition of arts and creative therapies are treatments which involve using art-based activities in a therapeutic environment. So within the episode, we talk a little bit about how the guest was able to channel the thoughts and emotions she was dealing with during her mental health ups and downs into creative outlets and how that was really positive. Mm. in sort of making sense of where she was at and what she was going through. That's lovely. But but also there's a clear distinction where there are indeed types of therapy that specifically focus around art as well. And Mm -hmm. so in the episode we mentioned a little bit things like painting, things like drawing, writing, different areas that can help you at times slow down and process what you're going through in a way a little bit like mindfulness can do. So I know this will be something that you have a lot of thoughts on, being so involved in the arts yourself, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. I actually, going off what you've just said about creative things, I've uh, actually started doing a lot of painting at home Mm -hmm. and quite a lot of sculpture as well using clay. That's not something that I would have done in the past, but my partner is really into it and watching him do it just looks so therapeutic and mindful. So I've definitely really been enjoying that at home at the moment. In terms of performing arts and theatre, God, yeah, we'll be here all day if I go off completely. But there's so many links between performing in front of an audience or creating music that have really positive effects on our mental health. Great. I totally agree. So we did have a look into research for this, but it was kind of challenging because I think so often the research, particularly from the medical community, is around the symptoms and what the different conditions are and what causes them, as Mm. opposed to what ways people can recover that aren't medical interventions. Yeah. So there'll be plenty of research into how the drugs work, but not so much how people's personal coping techniques work. And we've talked a lot on the podcast with, we had an episode on music as a factor in mental health. We've talked with quite a few guests about how writing and journaling has really helped them interpret and sort of slow down their thoughts Mm. so it's something that to me is a really clear link but um, amazing it was a little bit challenging to find stats for we did find research from the anglia ruskin university so i'm just going to read a section from that Mm -hmm. a number of different countries and cultures across the world are using or experimenting with the use of arts interventions in healthcare settings and Mm -hmm. overall the findings on the use of various art forms, for example, dancing, singing and drawing, were mostly positive with improvements to breathing, endurance and muscle strength reported. As with music listening, there were also reductions in anxiety levels and depressive symptoms, including the suggestion that the role of intervention in recovery was as significant as medication. So I found that really powerful, particularly the way it's linked to medication there as In this particular study, they found it so useful, it's even on par with medication, one of the the many 
NHS medical interventions that people can receive. Mm. What do you think about that, Annie? Yeah, for sure. There's so many drama therapy courses at the moment. Like, uh, there's so many um, masters in drama therapy and using drama and performance as a method of therapy for people in all different types of settings. It's really applicable to loads and loads of different types of people. I've actually considered doing a drama therapy masters myself quite a few times because it kind of really ties into my two massive passions in life: mental health and performing arts. But not quite for me just yet. Certainly, well, certainly not a masters anyway. So who knows what will happen in the next few years? But yeah, it's becoming more and more popular. I think there's like nine or ten universities now in the UK that offer drama therapy masters. Oh, and there is, cool. you know, thousands and thousands more drama therapists. Like, they're amazing, amazing work. Yeah, really, really passionate about it. But also, dear listeners, I'm suffering with really nuts out insomnia at the moment. So, <laughs> unfortunately. So, the speaking fast is uh, deceptive. It's actually a reflection of Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just speaking fast because I have literally no idea what's going on with my life at the moment. <laughs> hashtag mental health. Hashtag working with mental health and illness and blah blah yeah I'm gonna shut up now <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get into the interview with our guest in a moment she is a really incredible woman who has really been creative in a whole host of ways including publishing four books I found her really inspirational to speak to she's such a lovely warm character um, so I think she'll be the light to listen to as well Awesome. So we'll get into that in a moment. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on about the creative art? Honey? No, I am good. I'm just sorry that I'm so bogged down with lack of sleep at the moment. You still love me. I still lo- of course I still love you. Aww, look <laughs> and, at that. Not just because discriminating against you based on that experience would be uh, ironic. It really, really would, wouldn't it? Can you imagine? It's a deep and genuine love. All right. So on that, that love, that note, we'll get into the episode in just a moment. But first... Who's our sponsor? Let's find out. I'm Sharon Rose, and I've come to talk today about mental health issues. I think that maybe as a child... I was very much exposed to mental distress as my father was diagnosed of having paranoid schizophrenia when I was 11. And so that had a massive impact on us as a family and changed a lot of dynamics within the family. So I think the external influences do affect you personally, but then it also builds up some resilience to coping in future with other events. So that is the background for me is that, you know, I sort of was brought up with in, in, in quite an unpredictable household because my dad had schizophrenia, he was paranoid and um, hearing voices. And so this, you know, caused uh, a sort of like a, a very unsettled household. We didn't know what was coming next. So as life went on, my dad was sectioned and he was uh, then an inpatient in an institution because we're going back a few years then. And we used to visit him quite a lot. And then I became a nurse and actually worked in that institution for a period of time. So then actually we're looking after patients with mental health issues. And in contrast there, how much understanding did you have at the time? Like when you were going in to visit him, did you know what was wrong with your dad? Yes, I think from a very early age, I had to I had to know what was wrong with him, really, because I have siblings and, you know, my mum was left to uh, 
to still work, to look after the children. And and in those days, you know, really, to be honest, I had to take on that role. And, yeah, I, I understood he had no control over that illness at all. So I think my experience is basically, as the years went on, with life events, I developed episodes of depression. Um, so I feel that we're distinguishing a little bit because, I, you know, then with the depression, I at least had some some chance to help myself. Either, but I'm not saying that that's not available for people who suffer, you know, more long term. Absolutely. And particularly something like schizophrenia mm. for many of the patients dealing with that, it, it is for life that they're on the medication yes. to, yes, to keep them stable and to manage that condition. Yeah. And if they don't take the medication, you know, obviously then they uh, deteriorate and, you know, it's, it's a very uncomfortable place for them to be and it's a very sad place for us to be onlookers as well. You know, I've been exposed to observing my dad suffer and not win a battle to be cured from this illness. But he lived with it. He got the best out of the life that he had and he still continued with his music. And, you know, we just, uh, and we continued to support him until the day he died. I went to see him and encouraged him and, you know, just carried on through life with him as our father. Mm-hmm. The difference is, is he couldn't look after us like a father or give anything back. So it was literally, you know, you've got to be happy that you're not going to get it back. And it sounds like even the way you talk about it all these years later, I can tell that you had to be very mature from a young age very, in order yeah. to understand that. Yeah, I did miss, I missed childhood probably from 11 because I had to look after my younger brother and sister, you know, all through summer holidays and plans of going out and playing with my friends and stuff. That was, it was all right as long as I could take the children with me. I have been put in a caring role from a very early age and I think that has influenced uh, a lot of my life as the time went on Mm -hmm. in relationships you know which can be not always a good thing yeah taking on a caring role rather than an equal role and and often I notice as well people that are, are really good at caring for others can fall short when it comes to caring for themselves yeah. Because they put so much of their worth in how can I look mm. after others. Yeah, it is difficult one that is. It is it's and you, you um you're right and you it's like you have to learn to care for yourself really. You have mm. to learn that um skill because if you're caring from a very young age it's what you know. It's what yeah. you've grown up with. It's it's not easy to ignore your past in that in that sense because that's your that's where you've developed. It's your truth. Your and true self, yeah. With you then, you did have to come to a point of learning to care for yourself in particular because of depression coming along. So at what point did those symptoms start cropping up for you? You know, not really until after the cancer diagnosis, really. Not until um, my late 40s. I think I was very busy throughout life. I was very busy with my children. I know I, I I felt that I just got on with life, really. And I think it was only the fact, obviously, my physical health then debilitated me and gave me, you know, sort of took away some of that resilience to coping with other things and coping with, you know, other life yeah. things in general. So it was never to be the same again. 
and then obviously you're dealing with a very serious illness and, and, and obviously all the mental health issues, the psychological issues that go with that, that afterwards if other things come along, it tips you over the edge because you've, you're using all that strength to deal with something that's quite... You're trying to stay alive, aren't you? So, And if other things come along to challenge you, you can't cope and you're overloaded with challenges. Right. And it sounds like the way you describe it, you've been so on the go, mm. looking out for everyone else at that point mm. and being, keeping really busy. Yeah. And then you get this cancer diagnosis mm. and... It sounds like it's the first time you really slowed down and actually started to introspect a bit more. It, it probably was, but I think it's like afterwards, really, because when you're going through that, you're in fight and flight. And actually, all you're concerned about is the people who you might leave behind. I had young children at the time. This is very, very common in lots of things, is if you're going through a, quite a traumatic time, you tend to cope. And then it's afterwards, isn't it? And I think, yeah, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. I think you're on the alert, fighting, and then everything settles down, and then all of a sudden you collapse in a heap, and some little thing comes around, along like the TV doesn't work, and that's it. You know, you you you, you collapse in yeah. a heap. Yeah, you know what well, I mean. Suddenly that, that, you don't so suddenly... have to face all these immediate dangers. Yeah. yeah, and then you sort of take a second look around right, and see yeah. a few you maybe ignored. Yes. And that, that's what happened, I think. I was delivered another challenge and it was just like, oh, how much can you cope with? And so I did, you know, I did feel like I went into a very, very dark place. But what I knew had to get me out of the dark place was that I had still a tiny bit of resilience left. And I think this is, I use this word so much because I've got this feeling with it recently with, you know, there's so much about suicide. And I'm just thinking... Are we not building enough resilience in our younger population, our youngsters? Do we need to look right back so that we could build more resilience? Because uh, it seems to be becoming even more common than it used to be. Right. I think it's not just resilience, but it's about a kind of greater tool set of how to mm. look after That's your mental exactly health. That's exactly right, yeah. And so often with... The way things are at the moment, whilst understanding of mental illness is on the rise, mm. the preemptive care mm. isn't, and no. the pressures are also rising. Pressures are rising. And so I, I can sometimes look at how my parents grew up and feel a bit envious that they kind mm. of had a more straightforward environment in many ways. They could only compare themselves to the peers yes. there and then, not, yes. you know, not the, not the social media. A teen model not, over in Australia. No. and Not three million followers. Exactly. My mum, for example, growing up in Ireland with two dentists mm. as parents, it was kind of follow that or emigrate were the, yeah, the two yeah. kind of main options. Whereas yeah. now we're constantly bombarded with everyone's increasingly uh, obscure careers. That have so many options. And yeah, that, that, and that actually runs into um, mental health as well, because we have massive waiting lists, obviously, for, yeah. for treatment and for support. But when you now look into schools and education, in my day, it was like you were either a doctor, a nurse, a lawyer, or you had an apprenticeship mm -hmm. and you were a carpenter or a plumber or a, and that was your choices. So don't know whether even nursing's even mentioned in school these days. Regarding recruitment in our, you know, the younger population, 
it's like there is about a million things to choose from, isn't there, to do with yeah. college and nursing has got lost somewhere. So well, also nursing students, don't we? a kind of bastion of a, a more traditional work model Absolutely, that you get a, yeah. a profession and a work for life. Yeah. And that's less yeah. and less common nowadays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, and there is a bit more pressure on academic the academic side rather than maybe you know in the in, in our day it was more why do you want to be a nurse because I want to care care for people really you know it was a bit more simpler. I think that is a big factor and life just feels more complicated than it's it ever is, been. Yeah <laughs> well it is more complicated and it's more complicated as as maybe as parents now as well you know because obviously right. you've got the worry of of, you know, you, you're not in control of social media and your children. It's impossible. It's yeah, probably impossible and, and that's a challenge of navigating mm. threats to your children exactly. that you didn't grow up with. Yeah. So in terms of, you mentioned there, the depression that came around the same time, but kind of after your cancer yeah. diagnosis. Yeah. And so what was the kind of initial like support like with that? I presented to my GP eventually because it was such a dark hole that it was just either go and get help or what's going to happen to me. Mm. And I had a child to look after. It was a case of you've got to do something because your mood reflects on... This is exactly where it comes from as well. It's this, you know, if this child is brought up in negativity and, and, and you know, me not being able to cope and they're not going to feel secure... Yeah, I read a study recently that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head, but it was really concerning tracking how young people, like right from like baby age up, oh, yeah. learn like facial expressions. Absolutely. And if you're a parent that's constantly saying you're happy when you're not, yeah. they can even mislearn the body Absolutely. language around it. And I, I never even thought of that, but it makes so much sense. And and also the old fashioned, oh, you know, uh, you'll get over it and you know, don't be silly and, you know what I mean, sort of, mm -hmm. you know, sort of acknowledging your children's worries and not uh, belittling their worries because however minor they are, they're a worry to them, aren't they? Yeah. So, you know, I know we're digressing a little bit there again, but I'm just trying to say, agree with you that, you know, it does start right back to children and I had this baby who needed me to nurture her emotional health yeah. So I had to look after my emotional health or do something about it to be able to do that. It's not just about looking after yeah. their physical health and feeding them. And, but it's know. so lovely that yeah. you saw that because a lot of people don't. You know, they're just all their focus is on the child. And so it was, it's great to hear that you were able to take a step back and think, OK, yeah. you know, happy mum, happy kids. Absolutely. Like, oh, and, and I know that is very true, you know, so they do pick up these things. So, yeah, so it was a, one of the prompters for me to get out, even though I was comfortable in my little simpler life, mm -hmm. which meant is, you know, pay my bills. Don't have to socialise much. Stay in. Just got to, you know, this is. I don't go to go to work. I just just didn't have a, a, a hectic life. Didn't have to socialise or communicate with so many people. So actually, once you start receiving treatment and and you know you start having support and then you start to grow again. And he did say to me, "What is your goal?" And it was to get my book published. And. So he gave me a bit of a goal, mm -hmm. gave me some confidence that it might be worth looking at. And, and, and so that's how 
he worked with me, my therapist. Right, that's great. And and so that was CBT, right? It was cognitive behaviour therapy. I mean, I know there's all other areas, but he, I think I've, I was that drained of going back over what might have caused it, which, you know, at the end of the day, we can't change history. Right. We and can't, you know, it's part of us. And that's it. And that's the power of CBT. It's, you mm. know, there's different needs for each person, but that yeah. one is really great at giving you the tools now. Yeah. You know, it's not going to go into, as you say, the history of no. that, but it's going to be like, okay, this is where you're at yeah. now. Here's what we can do for you. And it sounds like it was brilliantly tailored as well, talking about writing and the kind of yes, it, it the was, outlets yeah, that yeah. you'd found. What you could, what you could change and and how, you know, how much this problem did affect you, how much you were thinking it affects you, rather than how much it was affecting you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's all about getting your thought processes. And I still use it now, and I use it with my family. You know, I'm frightened of flying. Everybody's a bit fearful, obviously, but it's like, well, how many times has, a, you know, a plane crashed in the last week? Or right. It's getting things in perspective, uh, even about being bitten by a or stung by a bee, you know, and my niece, I was just, we had this conversation about, well, how many times have you been stung? Never. Right, so the law of averages... I'm just remembering, I once stood on a bee's nest, so I'm the wrong person for the analogy. All right, okay, sorry. But no, the chance of that is very low. That yeah. must be being an idiot. I Well, you see, the reason one person stood on a bee's nest, so that's it, but... You know, but well, I was I was asking for it. I was running through a, a forest, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it depends if you put. It's like if you put these, if you put yourselves in situations of risk, then it does heighten the chance yeah. of uh, something happening. But so, no, your overall yeah. point is a very good. You know one. what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it's just uh, still apply, but I'm always open to so many other strategies, and and I do know my. I know I accept my history uh, makes me as a person. And I've come to terms with the fact of accepting my uniqueness because of my past. It wasn't the perfect past, and but I've just got to get on with it, be who I am, and yeah, work you with need what to I've got. to draw with the strengths you yeah. built, and it sounds yeah. like you've really done that in going into nursing. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, if you that. can care for your siblings when you're still a child yourself, yeah. then yeah. You, it was probably a natural path. I didn't think of it like that at the time. I just thought it was something that I really wanted to do, you know. So it was um, just something as a progression, but it probably was the fact that caring for my dad as well because it was always going to see him because I was the older one, you know. It's like, and my granddad. There was a lot, you know, expectation. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility Mm. on you from a young age. Yeah. And you mentioned in CBT talking to your therapist about writing. So at that yeah. sort of time, were you aware of how helpful creative outlets were? Um, I, I mean, to be honest, subconsciously, when I was training as a nurse, going right back up, everybody had pictures of, I did have a picture of Donny Osmond, but they had more pictures <laughs> of Donny Osmond than me. But I used, to, I used to write poetry and stick it on my wall. Right. And, uh, but I never sort of linked it with any therapy, but I just liked writing poetry. And then, so they'd all got pictures of, you know, the local singers that were, uh, for David Cassidy and all that sort of, all them laughs. But me, no, I've made up a bit of poetry about the um, the pub across the road or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, but then that passed and that never came out again. But I, in, but I always, my children are um, artistic 
and, and my brother was artistic. So I used to manage my brother's band. And then I sort of like focused on my daughter, who's a ballet dancer. My other daughter sang. And, I, and actually, because she has her own needs, I could see singing was her, mm-hmm. was, you know, music was her way of coping. Right. So writing was literally due to the fact, just a natural thing that came, because if I couldn't read... I thought, well, I've got nobody to talk to as well. It's been single and been ill as well. Go home. And I think, well, I've got nobody else to talk to. I might as well talk to myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and writing's so, a bit more socially yeah, acceptable. Nobody argued with me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as I say, my books are always thought-provoking and to create discussion. They're right. not research-based evidence. But obviously these were journals of me expressing things throughout because... I came home and I, I didn't want to burden my children, so it might as well just, you know, I did have friends with me, but, you know, at home it just helped. Mm. So that's what I did. So. Yeah, and it sounds like it was your kind of equivalent how you might talk through a day and sort of figure it out yeah. with a partner. You were doing that in exactly. the writing. Yeah, and I think that's because that's... So it, it comes down to the point of how talking is such a big, you know, promotion of what we should be putting over for improved mental health and emotional well-being because you know I had nobody to talk to so I talked to myself and write down and that's good but if people aren't haven't got that or not writing or not having any other outlets then it's just all held within yes you know not everybody is um has these has has the desire to be overly sociable and to you know they're private people and you know that's not wrong to be you know sort of thing it's just a case of they still need somebody to talk to yeah and it's what tools work for you Mm. and it sounds like even when you were starting off with nursing you were Mm. developing those writing skills without even realizing it because i I can't touch poetry it's i have dyslexia it's far too complicated (laughs) yeah i don't well i don't i mean i don't look into it or think too deeply about it if i did i'd probably never do it because Mm. People checked on my grammatical <laughs> pronunciations and my dots and my commas and my whatsever. I'd never do a thing, you know, because mm. if, if, if it became too academic and not from the heart, I'd never be able to do it. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it, how that's organically what worked for you, but that's also that what really connects with readers so often. Yeah, of course. It's, yeah. you know, it's these, these true and real stories. Yeah. It's you interpreting your emotions as best you can not yeah. writing a kind of pretty poem about uh, a tree it's oh, a no, poem no. about something that happened in your life yes and it'd be something which they could relate might be sort of like say an analogy or a metaphor or whatever but people know like it's nice to for people to relate to it themselves for their own you know in their own experiences it doesn't you know not even if it's particularly related to cancer it might be something related to grief because of something else do you know what i mean mm. you know i was grieving for my possible loss of mortality so it might have been that i've written a you know on loss but it could be interpreted to anybody as loss through anything else so when we experience life events and loss it's a massive area isn't it yeah and did you find that looking back on work you did it sort of made more sense yeah (laughs) i can be surprised at my own insights oh yeah definitely i definitely think yeah when i look at my first book i think 
oh my god, their, their photographs are, are dreadful. You know, <laughs> something they're really bad, but they're real and it's fine. It was, you know, and then, but I haven't changed as the books have gone on. I've still just kept it from the heart, and and just written how I feel. So each each book is different. Each um, story is different. So I think it's just about being real, really. I think that's keep real. Yeah. And the messages will come through. Once you start trying to divert and, like you say, talk about pretty trees with it or something like that, then you start it starts not becoming so credible. Yeah, it's about what, what connects for your mm. audience. A, a friend of mine, she has a saying, whatever's personal is universal. Yeah, that's a good one. You don't have to have the exact experience like going through cancer, but yeah. we all go through hardship. Absolutely, And yes. the way yeah. we process mm. that is far more similar than the yeah. situations itself is. And it's also respecting that your way is not, you know, that everybody's unique. I mean... My sister, she won't mind mentioning it, she dealt with her, she had cancer as well a few years later and she dealt with it completely different to me and, and that's respecting other people's journeys as well, that it's their own. Uh, my thing as well as I say is if you help one person, you've done your job, haven't you, sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, but yeah, but mental health-wise, I mean, I can honestly say I think I'm quite a fragile person regarding my mental health if I'm honest I think I have to work hard at it I think you do you know if you are a fragile person and, I, I don't and, think anything I've heard of your experience strikes me as fragile so far I think you're incredibly resilient well I, well I am but, but, I, but I, I you have a I sensitivity have a which yeah. is actually very conducive to writing and to creativity yeah. That's helped me get through. But just thinking about it, you know, thinking I have to look at, like I say, I have to look after my emotional well-being now more so than I did pre the cancer and have a different outlook. And I do have to work. It's a job to do each day sometimes, which mm. can be really wearing and tiring. And that has to be respected as well, because it's you do have to work at the strategies to cope. You have to work at, you know, what might make you feel low. You've got to look at where your, you know, your surroundings or if you're mixing with negativity. Do you know what I mean? It's like little yeah. things can maybe not be helpful for you. So you do have to keep your eyes open. Right. And that's always one of the challenges isn't it like you've said mm. it's different for every person yeah and so it's like trying to find your ideal formula yes definitely and it's really i think a lifelong pursuit mm-hmm. you're going to go your whole life finding ways to tweak how yeah. you can have optimum well-being yes and i think that's and that, that sort of draws into the fact of how with art which is a great big subject of artistic therapeutic intervention is could be any form you know somebody who somebody sits and does a mosaic somebody else might paint everybody's getting something different Mm -hmm. but the same end result helping them feel relaxed and focused and for that minute in time takes them away from whatever problems they may have gives them time to reflect you know but you know they might be reflecting subconsciously but it's actually giving them space of time their mind space of time where they can and then to look at something they've created and think gosh I've done that it's also building self-esteem you know all the time you know I painted that I drew that I I wrote those lyrics I wrote that book I wrote that poem yeah it brings your your focus very much into a smaller locus of control because 
when you're at your worst, it can seem that nothing's ever going to be fixed, that yeah. you can't have any involvement in your recovery. And so sometimes yeah. it just takes that slowing down and being like, okay, all I'm going to do now is draw something yeah. or paint or write a poem. And that slowing down is is in itself like mindfulness yeah. that people use. But also it's, like you said, that small yeah. achievement. Okay, so yeah. maybe whatever you're going through right now is too big and it's going to continue, but yeah. in this moment you've achieved a small thing a small and it's step. made you feel good. Yeah, the small step situation, isn't it, as long as it's forward and that. But it's funny because I, 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 when, at my play, I, um, my mum always likes me to make a speech <laughs> and uh, I just didn't have time to, to learn my lines. I only had eight months. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and I, I was too busy doing everything else, so... When it actually came to it as well, I thought, do you know what? It's a man's day today as well. It's not, I don't want to be on stage for too long. It was, you know, supporting men's health. And all I wanted to do was thank the volunteers, really. But I did, I, I did have something written down. And it was uh, literally inspired by somebody I'd met before Christmas who had, who was in amidst this state of anxiety. And uh, I think it was her first day out from being inside her home and, and I had to tell her and say, you know, you've spoken such wise words today because we had this conversation and she said, I must have mentioned hope. You know, I hope things get better. She says, I, I can't wait for hope. I've never, you know, I'll be here all day. And she said, I have to expect to get better. And she said, and, and with that, I have to prepare. And she said, I have to, today I'm going to visit a friend to push myself out because I'm going to expect to get better. She said there isn't, obviously we have the elements of hope because there are some times when you're in a position, uh, there are some people out there that are, you know, terminally ill, have got long-term conditions. There is hope. That might be what all you do have. You know, that is being the honest truth. But if there's just that slight bit of chance, then this expectation, I thought that was a very wise word, to expect yourself yeah that's a really better. lovely way of looking at it because mm. it's it's bringing the situation back into your it control does, yeah that's you know, right. maybe that's i will really or won't get better yeah. but at least i can do these things to prepare for yeah. it yeah and 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 the maybe word is is, the, is one of my words i, I run an nhs on maybe <laughs> <laughs> on the the maybe word word um you know because maybe takes a lot of pressure off either it will or it won't yeah. And so just for to give the listeners some context, then, mm -hmm. could you talk us through your play and what that was all about? Yes, well, this play was based on my family history, inspired by it. And when I, I have inspiration, it just comes and so I write it down. That's as simple as that, really. And it was literally this time mental health was very much in, you know, is very much in the news anyway. My brother took his own life. So we were a family that had now experienced, you know, being survivors of bereavements by suicide. And, you know, more and more and more it's in the news. I'm thinking, you know, if I've got the ability to do something, I need to do it. So the play was about the impact of mental health on families. It went through the years of, um, you know, from our archaic institutions to... The vulnerability of the community so really you know that's another you know once we said of, took down the institutions we then put inpatients into the community to be vulnerable 
Right. Uh, so, you know, the, the, there's all these perspectives going on. And literally, my focus was there was no happy ending. It was uh, creating a new future. This was to not change history, create a new future. That is somebody else is saying. And 100 volunteers came together. We put the play on on Saturday and it has been snowballing ever since. For me, that means the cast's got those messages across and the crew and and it was the messages we wanted to get across, which was, you know, we put all the men to the front at the end because it's just research that, you know, most cause of death by men under 50 is suicide. So it's simple as that. We, we, We take that information, it's research information, they don't, you know, they find it more difficult to talk about their emotions, and it's just to try and encourage, um, you know, men to talk and for people to listen. It's not just the talking; people listen. And then somebody said something this morning, like um, interrupt and come up with a solution. And it's not all that. Sometimes can make people feel worse. Cause I think, well, I tried that; that didn't work. You know, to so something. You know, it's about yeah. listening and getting people to come to their own. Right, it's important to note that, that you don't have to have the answers to be a good listener. That's really not what listening's about. No, it is about giving people the chance to talk it over for them to come out, listen listen to them, and they will come out with their own solution because they've talked it through, Mm -hmm. the problem. It was hard going, and it was hard going for the cast, and I had to protect them, and I still do. It was hard going for the audience. And I had Samaritans. I had mental health first aiders there, and we and they they were they were needed mm. because it was a trigger for people to, you know. And the feedback I've had since is you know a lot of positive feedback, but people relating it to all sorts of their life, like somebody from grief who's lost somebody was not due through to suicide or any mental health issues. They've never been able to talk about their grief, and now they feel ready to talk about their yeah. grief. And that's the wonderful thing of opening up these conversations. It brings down walls and you realise that actually mental health isn't this weird, obscure thing. You know, your grief as a result of suicide is the same as anyone else's grief. It's the same emotions. You've lost somebody. It's somebody's gone. Yeah. It's not, um, it doesn't matter how they've gone. They've gone, you know, and and you can't reach them. You're not going to see them. So what I think has made me think is about relationships, how underrated people take grief from the loss of a relationship Mm. it's like we've got the loss of everything else divorce on the list the bereavement of you know uh, losing um, somebody through death through you know long-term illness but from relationships it's the next it's not considered high on the list it's like as if well you'll get over it if you look back, in, you know, like into a lot of people who may have took their own lives, I don't know, I've got not the research or anything to say that, but I'm just saying that maybe we should bring relationships up a little bit mm-hmm. into the categories of of heartbreak being not that easy to get over. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And so we do need to finish up now uh, with our time. So one thing I just wanted to check back in on, you mentioned quite early on that your dad, uh, an outlet for him was music. Yeah, definitely. And so do you feel like that was something that almost for you was something you inherited, like the creativity as an outlet? I think so. I think what has come through is I cannot write my plays and not in, and not, not involve a musical component to expression. So 
I, I always have music to enhance the dialogue. It might be people's own uh, creations of music, you know, sort of their own music, or it might be something I've heard. But it, it just, I, I have to have it because I think dance, musical songs, you know, just bring people's emotions to the surface. And sometimes it's easy for people might like the dialogue and they might get more from the dance or they might get more from listening to the music. And that's another choice thing of how people can, you know, get a message across using so many different Tools. Yeah, well, music has such an incredible ability to connect people. Oh, definitely. That even definitely. you can listen to a track in a different language. Yeah. You can get an idea, the kind of feeling of that it's trying to put across. From the tone and the music. And it, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, it's attached to so many different um, feelings and reasons, isn't it? You know, you, you could, and you should be able to cry when you listen to a song, or you should be able to dance crazy if it's a <laughs> crazy song you know it's like it brings every emotion out in you so express it uh, yeah you know, i do salsa actually that's what i'm yeah thinking about it now music <laughs> does it can just be such a release yeah yeah it got me through my cancer treatment salsa dancing did definitely wow. and i think it kept me healthy I didn't get a blocked Hickman line because I think I was twizzled that much. You need to <laughs> unblock it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I used to go feeling absolutely dreadful and then my shoes would be on and I'd be like, listen to the music and that would be better by the end of that session. That's wonderful. That's yeah. a great place to finish, I think. Yeah. Nice positive note. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for being a guest today. Is there anywhere you'd want to push people if they want to learn a bit more about you? Well, yes, I have got a web page, um, which is shannonroseauthor.co.uk. I'm on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then I'm having an open day on April the 7th at Marlow Community Centre where we're starting our workshops for acting and creative experiences great is there something on the website about that as well um yes 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 there is actually so that will give all the details great well thank you so much for chatting to me today it's been great oh thank you bobby i've really enjoyed it i've really enjoyed speaking to you and i'd really love to come back and look out at this lovely view (laughs) to be honest Thank you for listening. For a list of our recommended resources, visit mentalpodcast.co.uk. And remember, we are in no way a substitute for qualified counselling or other mental health support. Our show is edited and produced by the brilliant Pete Murta with licensed music by NetSky. Links in the description. Speak to you next Thursday. And remember, you are enough.